Why do you linger here when there is no hope? There is still hope. Tempted to think there's no hope for overcoming some of the challenges of modern life? Ask an elf. Or a hobbit. Tune in Tuesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. with Milo Lomesdown at your service and... Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI Middle-Earth Elf. For What Would Arwen Do? on KUCI Irvine, 88.9 FM, and streaming live on KUCI.org. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. And this is KCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM, and streaming live on the Internet at KUCI.org. I am Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf. Coming up in just a few moments, what would Arwen do? Govanin and Suilite. To all my elf friends, I am Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf. This is KUCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM, Orange County's alternative radio station, and quite possibly the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. This is What Would Arwen Do? on every Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. And hello to everyone listening in, especially those listening online today. I know a very special person, Vana, delightful elf princess, is listening from up in Washington. Greetings, my friend. And to anyone else who may be listening from around uh, the Southland, through the airwaves, the magical airwaves, or through the Internet, and to my charming co-host who I believe is coming to us by the magical airwaves of phone. Are you there? It's an amazing technology, isn't it, Elf <laughs> It most certainly is. Do I am Milo Lomestown at your service now and as, a, as ever, Elf Princess, and greetings to people on KUCI.org where we stream fabulous music and public affairs 24 by 7, and to those of you listening after the fact as we have a podcast at KUCITalk.org. And if you go to the iTunes store, you can find us by searching for Arwen, A-R-W-E-N, in the iTunes store, and click on What Would Arwen Do? Well, thank you so much. I know you're off on some other um, adventures or matters of errantry, so um, you're, you're calling in from another part of the phallus, still by, here by the ocean, but a little ways away. It seems very strange, my friend, not to have you here in studio, but we are so grateful for the wonders of technology that bind us all together. <laughs> it, it's a wonderful thing, and I am, I'm glad to be here in the Shire of Huntington Beach, where the grass is very green and the sun is glowing brightly, and all of the vegetables are ripening, and oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. Here we are in the midst of paradise. <laughs> but I will be back next week to see you in person. I'm so happy about that. 
So if you are tuning in for the first time, you may be wondering what this show is all about. What would Arwen do? Well, if a Middle-earth elf lived today in Southern California, in Irvine to be more precise, what might her life look like? How would she, as a modern elf, celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? And I will say that today we will have an opportunity to especially celebrate both the arts and the preservation of Earth. So some people like to ask, what would Jesus do? And that is a very good question. But on this program, when challenges in life arise, or as the wizard Gandalf puts it, questions, questions that need answering, we like to ask, what would Arwen do? Who was Arwen, you may be wondering? In J.R.R. Tolkien's Mythology of Middle-Earth, Arwen was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves and lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing, lore, and wisdom, perhaps not unlike the community here at UC Irvine, from where we broadcast. Arwen was also a beloved daughter of the universe, as are all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth, or an elvish Arda. I believe Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige, with great privilege comes responsibility. She embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light through her courage, wisdom, beauty, her sense of humor, and her service to others. In Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Colin Durias wrote, In his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This, quote, elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, like dwarves, hobbits, and the like, partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. And I would add to that, my dear hobbit friend, that I believe that um, in Tolkien's mythology, hobbits most certainly also represent what is high and noble in humans. <laughs> A different kind of nobility. Absolutely. So as an elf, and I believe I can speak a little bit for my dear Hobbit friends, since we've spent so much time together, we believe that this, quote, elven quality exists today in every living person and yearns for expression through gifts of creativity, nobility, and service to others. So welcome again, Ellen Dali, elf friends. Ellen Salah, Lumen, Nomentielvo, a star shines on the hour of our meeting. And dear Hobbit friend, I am... So excited that you could uh, make time out of your very busy schedule for today to give us a call and let us know. Um, I know you won't be able to stay with us for the entire show. I'm very excited. I hope our listeners will stay with us because coming up... Oh, my gosh. You have such a great guest. Yes. Um, Andrea Harris, who is the curator and director um, of a show called Speak for the Trees over at Orange Coast College. We'll be calling in a little bit later in the show. So, you know, we elves uh, love those trees, as Tolkien was a great lover of the trees. I believe the hobbits were probably lovers of trees, too. <laughs> We love trees, but we're a little scared of forests. They're a little <laughs> bit too dark for our liking. Yes, I think hobbits probably mostly like the type of trees that bear fruit. Yes, and nuts, <laughs> orchards, pecan trees, 
orange trees, apple trees, trees, yes, apple trees, definitely, and so on and so on. Avocado trees, yes. Yeah, so, oh my gosh! So much as we elves love food, we are much more a uh, little preoccupied with speaking with the trees and tree spirits and walking in starlight. So we do tend to gravitate to the forests where the hobbits could more likely be found in orchards. That's right. <laughs> so um, thank you again so much for calling in. And was there anyone you wanted to say a special hello to today? Well, as always, uh, various nieces and nephews may be listening via podcast, so I hail say hello to them. Uh, a good friend of mine by the name of Chuck will be going into surgery next week, so mm. if he and his beautiful wife are listening, then I will say hello to Donna and Chuck. And as always, Martin up in Toronto, I know that he listens via podcast after the fact, mm-hmm. and various other old friends. Well, I've already given a little shout-out to Vanna up in the beautiful Elf Princess up in Seattle, in case Ro might be listening in from Escondido. And I want to say a special hello and greeting today for a very dear friend of mine, Donald, who at one point actually co-hosted the Hootenanny Swings radio show here at KCI with me. So he's a, he was once, he's kind of an alumni uh, DJ, but to, tomorrow is his birthday, so I want to ve- say a very special happy birthday and hello to Donald up in Brea. So, um, I know you don't have a lot of time to give us today, but do you have some movie news for us? Let me get a little Hobbit movie music going here because we are indeed tracking um, a bit of the progress of the Hobbit movies, the two Hobbit movies that will be coming out of December 2012. And do you by chance have some Hobbit news for us? Oh my gosh, yes, there's always news. Well, first of all, the folks, the wonderful folks at the onering.net, mm-hmm. which is my favorite location for getting the freshest and newest Hobbit or Lord of the Rings news, they have posted all four parts of their panel, which was the first panel at Comic-Con last week. Mm. They, have, they have posted all four parts of their panel discussion, oh. which included the guest Daniel Falconer, who flew all the way from Weta in New Zealand into San Diego, and also folks from Warner Brothers drove down to talk about The Hobbit and progress. And Peter Jackson was there. Peter Jackson, oh my gosh, Peter Jackson showed up at Comic-Con totally unannounced. But in this uh, Thursday morning panel that occurred uh, basically a week and a half ago, it's it's a lengthy panel, about an hour long, and there are four parts on YouTube you can go to YouTube and search for the Hobbit panel, or you can go to theonering.net, and there's an article there. Notable, I would say lots of stuff we could talk about from that one hour, but the most notable thing is a voiceover clip they played from Benedict Cumberbatch, who will be our voice of Smaug. Mm. And oh, my gosh, you can see why they chose his voice. So uh, I urge folks to certainly check into that new set of YouTube videos, about 15 minutes apiece. Oh, wonderful. Maybe we could have a show and play play some of these just for people that maybe, you know, aren't aren't so, like we elves, we have a tendency to be very much into nature and things, but we forget about uh, the things on technology. After we leave the show, I'm always have the intention of going and looking up these sites and listening to these things, but I have a tendency to get lost in uh, nature and the books. In fact, this morning, I was going to listen to um, the 
Peter Jackson thing that you mentioned last week, but I was doing some research on trees and got caught up in the book of Lost Tales. And, oh, my God. And the next thing I knew, two and a half hours had gone by, and I realized I've got to get up and get moving. No time to be uh, playing on the Internet. But again, a reminder to our listeners, please go to Facebook.com slash Peter Jackson NZ, which is all one word, no blanks or underscores, to get the third production video update. It is so beautiful. That 13 minutes is just glorious. And it packs a wallop at the end, at the very, very end. Well, I will have to see that. And just um, could you just remind them that there are a few spoilers in there for people yes, that may not there want are. There are lots of visual spoilers. There's no story spoilers, but mm-hmm. you, will, you will get a glance and a look at how some of the characters look. And if you want to be visually surprised, then wait. But there's no surprise from Andy Serkis. He is mm. uh, he is talking about something at WarnerBros.com on the Extra TV section. He was interviewed briefly uh, about the L.A. premiere of Planet of the Apes, where he plays one of the apes, right? Oh, it, Rise of the Planet of the Apes? Yes, because it's coming out this Friday. In any oh. case, he has a little 90-second video clip there, during which of part, part of which he says, quote, we've been shooting for 60 days, and we have about 200 more days to go, on shooting The Hobbit. I've actually finished all my scenes as Gollum, and now I'm just directing the second unit. Focus back wow. I'm having a ball. It's, it's very, very interesting. There was another piece recently published about Andy Serkis. Of course, on this Friday, you'll be able to see him as Caesar in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, right? Now, does he and play an ape, or does he play one he of... He plays an ape. He oh. plays the ape Caesar, yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, coming soon, dot net, that's a website, coming soon, dot net, coming soon has an interview. I just wanted to excerpt a couple of things. Yes. Andy Circus says, I've learned from working with Peter Jackson over the years, at the end of the day, you're finding the right shot for the performance. The other thing is, although I'm there for him on second unit, his words to me when he offered me the job were, quote, I want you to make bold decisions. Come back with your own take on it. You can cut your own material. That is, Peter Jackson was giving Andy Serkis the right not only to be second unit director, but to edit his material, which wow. is the supreme ability of a director. Mm. Another interesting thing this week is mm-hmm. Total Film named The Hobbit out of 100 things that's going to affect the film world in the next year that is between August 2011 and August 2012, is The Hobbit. They're number nine on that list of 100 things. Really? It won't even be released until, you know, December next year, but they're predicting that it will have a massive effect on film art and film business in the next uh, 12 months, let alone, you know, 17 months. Yes. So I thought that was very interesting. Well, it will be interesting, too, um, and, and I'm so excited that you are so... You know, you've been in the world of films for so long because it's, it's a new area for me as far as, you know, I just like to go because I love, you know, I'm an elf. I like this. I like the, the tales. I like the stories, especially the stories of conquest and adventure. Um, but it's really wonderful um, to have you here on the show now these two years, over two years now here on the, sh- the show and um, being able to kind of... Um, explore some of these different areas of movie making and 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 how these things because you know one of the things that was amazing uh to me was just not only the scope of the lord of the rings movies three back-to-back movies that were all filmed together but the way that did um you know affect the whole movie industry and of you know things that people were interested in and this coming year we have many 
uh, films coming out that have um, adventure and and especially women's empowerment things from a little different angle. So, uh, you know, we've got the Hunger Games coming. We've got Brave, you know, the little girl Archer. We've got Rise yeah. of the Planet of the Apes. All these interesting um, adventure stories, but not just kind of just, you know, the general thing. They're coming from all different areas of imagination. And, and imagination is what it's about. One of the great things about The Hobbit, we know from past interviews with Jackson and Guillermo del Toro, who is co-writer and for a while was planning and doing the work as a, as a director, is that there's going to be filler material. That is, there's going to be stuff that fills in the gaps between the story of The Hobbit and the story of Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. So they are not just in this 200, 260 days of filming, they're not just doing The Hobbit, right? right? They're doing The Hobbit plus interstitial material that will fill in the blanks that are between the end of The Hobbit story and the beginning of The Lord of the Rings. And lest we forget that these these are smart movie people, and they certainly, hopefully, must be taking into account uh, when The Lord of the Rings came out. Those of us who are fans could not get enough, you know. So we were always looking forward to more uh, things being released, whether it was interviews, you know, the when the DVDs come out, you have all these little extra things, the outtakes, and, you know, interviews with the staff, and uh, just all kinds of wonderful things. So hopefully they are, they are keeping us fans in mind and um, filling a vault. <laughs> and, and, and in fact, <laughs> you know, Peter Jackson things. released his third video production diary. Mm. And I mean, the first one was very short and, and sort of cute. The second one at 10 minutes was fabulous, but the third one is just dynamite. So they are, in fact, doing a good job of keeping us up. They've trickled out photographs showing what the look of the dwarves is mm-hmm. and that look is just wonderfully imagined. I can hardly wait to see the production stills for Smaug, but because that's all post production, we probably won't be able to see any of Smaug, I would guess, until probably June or July. Wow. Of next year. Yeah. Well, uh, I am, again, I'm just so excited and I want to thank you so very much for helping us stay on, on top of, you know, what's going on and um, I will have there, more uh, week, Elf Princess, but mm-hmm. now I, I should probably ring off and uh, and I'll be listening as I go about my little appointed uh, tasks for today. But uh, have a great program today and, and uh, I will enjoy listening about the trees. Wonderful. Thank you so much, my dear Hobbit. Alen Salalumin Amentielvo, a star shines on the hour of our meeting, which will be next week. Next week. Okay. Elf Princess, bye-bye. Bye-bye. So in case you're just tuning in, this is KUCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM, and streaming live at KUCI.org. And coming up in just a few moments, we're going to have a wonderful, I believe it's going to be a wonderful, interview with Andrea Harris, who is the curator of the art exhibit at the Frank M. Doyle Arts Pavilion at Orange Coast College on the exhibit Speak for the Trees. And I believe she may be calling in, so please... Uh, stay with us. I'm going to play a little something for you from a beautiful song about trees, about a specific beautiful tree, Bonnie Portmore. And this from, I don't hope I'm pronouncing her name right, Aoife. And uh, we'll be right back. This is KUCI in Irvine. I am Tony Tenuvio. This is What Would Arwen Do?
was the beautiful, enchanting voice of Effie, and I, by I, uh, from a CD, I believe, of the same name, which I am going to go out and find. <laughs> it's uh, that was the song "Bonnie Portmore," which is an Irish traditional folk song, which laments the demise of Ireland's old oak. Forest. And I have been in love with this song for a long time. I am familiar with it from Lorena McKennett, who has an enchanting voice and beautiful music. But we don't play her here at KUCI because here at KUCI we are all about non-mainstream music and public affairs while we rejoice and celebrate those who have made it in the world of the arts. We also like to bring to your attention and awareness those who are still, who are out there doing great things, but you may not have heard of them. So in researching a version of Bonnie Portmore, which was, um, it was on Lorena's The Visit CD, which came out in 1991, and then it was also featured in the Highlander movie, Highlander 3, which came out in 1994. But this beautiful version that you just heard was Effie Niyare, and uh, her name is uh, spelled A-O-I-F-E, and that was um, Bonnie Portmore, and it's a it's a wonderful song. The melody of this song was let's see. Um, this I'm getting a little bit of information here from Wikipedia. Um, it, again, it laments the demise of Ireland's old oak forest, specifically the great oak of Portmore, which fell in a windstorm in 1760 and was subsequently used for shipbuilding and other purposes. So um, again. Um, Lamenting the demise of our beautiful trees. And I wanted to just say that Tolkien was a great lover of trees. And you can see this, you can, you can observe it through a lot of his um, writings uh, in The Lord of the Rings, in The Silmarillion, in um, even his letters he makes mention. And I wanted to read just a very small uh, portion here from the Silm- Silmarillion from Of the Beginning of Days before we get into our interview today, which I am so excited that uh, Andrea Harris, the curator and director of the Arts Pavilion uh, at um, the F- Frank M. Doyle Arts Pavilion at Orange Coast College, where there is currently on display the... Um, Exhibit Speak for the Trees, and we'll hear a little bit more about that in just a bit. But from the words of the professor himself, let's see, I have some Hobbit music on here. I think I'm going to try something a little more elvish as some background music. For Again, this is from the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, The Silmarillion, which is the backstory for all of the tales of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. So it says here, so in this, at this point, um, Melkor has destroyed the, uh, thrown down the two trees and the Valar have removed to, uh, Valinor to make their new dwelling and are missing the light of the trees. So it says here, and when Valinor was full rot and the mansions of the Valar were established, in the midst of the plain beyond the mountains they built their city, Valmar of many bells. Before its western gate there was a green mound, Ezolahar, and it also is called Korolare, 
and Yavanna hallowed it, and there she sat long upon the green grass and sang a song of power, in which was set all her thought of things that grow in the earth. But Nina thought in silence and watered the mound with tears. In that time the Valar were gathered together to hear the song of Yavanna, and they sat silent upon their thrones of council, council in the Mahanaksar the ring of doom near to the golden gates of Valmar. And Yavanna Kemantari sang before them, and they watched. And as they watched, upon the mound there came forth two slender shoots, and silence was over all the world in that hour, nor was there any other sound save the chanting of Yavanna. Under her song the saplings grew and became fair and tall and came to flower. And thus there awoke in the world the two trees of Valinor, of all things which Yavanna made, they have most renown, and about their fate all the tales of the elder days are woven. That from J.R.R. R. Tolkien's The Silmarillion, the chapter of the beginning of days, and we see that in ages to come, when the elves awake, and that uh, from the light of the two trees will come the Silmarils, the Silmarils, the three jewels uh, from the hand of Fionor, about which all the tales, even the tales of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, are interwoven. So in celebration today, I will uh, mention, I won't have time right now to read, uh, but there is a delightful article in Coast Magazine, Orange Coast Magazine, that just came out, uh, the August 2011 edition. It's called Speak for the Trees, and the article is uh, Speak for the Trees. Uh, under the section, it says Celebrate Nature. And uh, just a little thing, it says, Trees are the barometer of how we care for the earth. Speak for the Trees is a multi-venue ex- exhibition of the works of over 70 artists whose creations speak out for the needs of trees to flourish in a healthy ecosystem. Picture a mountain of thickly forested treetops in varying green patterns rendered in rich soil paints, or five different sized canvases braced together spanning a large area that engulfs the viewer and conveys the wonder of trees in bloom. Symbolic trees combine figuration and abstraction. Abstract trees line up in a regular formation that becomes irregular patterns of individual tree personalities. So um, the venues that are going on right now um, at uh, Orange Coast College is at the Frank M. Doyle Arts Pavilion. The phone number there, in case you are interested, 714-432-5102. The website OC artspavilion.com again that's ocartspavilion.com the second venue is through September 5th at Scape Gallery and we'll hear more about that on another show and the exhibit is also uh, being shown at the House of Balsamic Academy in Irvine but today today we are delighted and privileged to have with us Andrea Harris who is the director of the Arts um, Pavilion at Orange Coast College, and let me see if I can bring her into the conversation here. Andrea, are you there? I'm here. Thank you so much for joining us on the program today, and thank you especially for, from my dear Elvish heart, for um, curating and putting together this beautiful exhibition, Celebrating Trees. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. And could you, well, tell us a little bit about... um, you know, who you are, what you do there as the curator and director for the uh, Frank M. Doyle Arts Pavilion. 
Well, I'm the director here. Um, I'm the, also the full-time curator um, of the exhibition space, and I do exhibitions every two months. We rotate out shows um, that focus on artists from around the globe mm-hmm. as well as local artists emerging uh, as well as established and student artists. And um, I do all the programming here and have been a big big fan and proponent of trees my whole life. And mm-hmm. so the um, Speak for the Trees exhibition came out of um, me wanting to work and collaborate with others who are like-minded and also to kind of put some things into the gallery that I'd always wanted to exhibit, um, many loved works that were focused on trees and uh, artists who were inspired by them. Wonderful. So how did... How did this particular exhibit, Speak for the Trees, come about? Well, the original exhibition was curated by Andrea Friesen in Seattle, Washington, and she conceived of the project and also a major book project that she um, actually um, edited and organized and actually published herself, um, which is available out there in the world. Um, But she wanted to do an exhibition on trees and had been inspired by them, and also she's a huge uh, proponent of the environment and of nature, and so she had done a lot of research and brought in a lot of artists there in Seattle that she had wanted to highlight in the mm-hmm. book. And the show was very successful and traveled, and um, later in years I had heard um, through Jeannie Denholm, who runs Scape Gallery, she'd come by to visit me, and she was telling me about Andrea and her project, and I had been working on a show um, that I was putting together called Tree Works, which um, I had thought about you know, publishing a book on and doing everything for, and so mm-hmm. when I heard about Andrea's show... And her book, I was very impressed and very impressed at the quality of the exhibition and who she had included and thought, you know, it would be a natural for us to just collaborate and take the show further and add artists and to um, expand on her ideas. And so I asked if that would be possible, and uh, Jeannie and Andrea both agreed. So we um, decided to do an extension of the exhibition here at Orange Coast College, and I brought in more of the artists that I had been uh, hoping to exhibit for a long time and also brought in some of the people that she had curated into the original show. So it worked out quite beautifully, and we have an incredible space here. And uh, yes. we brought in, and we started out with 22 artists that we were going to bring in and ended up being 38. Wow. And um, actually, I spoke to Jeannie uh, earlier because I was wondering if, you know, each place was just, you know, if, if it was the same artist. And she said that there's actually very, um, in a little overlap, but very little overlap. So each venue really is something, you know, I, I feel like each venue is very unique as far mm-hmm. as going to, to see the presentation there. So yes. lest someone think, oh, well, I can't get to your exhibit by August 12th. I'll just go to Scape. They will miss out <laughs> on seeing um, uh, many artists that you have just at your exhibition. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, we're all doing different things. Um, we are, you know, kind of working all together. But it is, you know, each curator is, has a unique way of, doing their work and the artists that they select. And so we had the freedom to do that and work within the theme. Um, my, my selections are much different than the others, and I think that they're all great exhibitions and well worth um, checking out if you have the time to do all of them. And if not, um, you know, I hope that you'll at least see one or two of them. Yes. Now, I know it's, you know, it's, it's so much of a challenge to speak about art that especially the visual arts when we're here on the radio but could you just maybe talk a little bit about some of the artists that are featured and and what what they have contributed and Mm -hmm. how someone could maybe you know find more information i would love to um well i have 38 artists in the exhibition and i can just tell you um kind of the more the pivotal artist in the beginning when i started to conceive of the the concept um 
uh, kind of the standouts that kind of helped to draw in more artists to the show. Um, originally, I had uh, seen a piece in Seattle, Washington, um, by the artist Mark Dion, and it's a piece called the Newcomb Vivarium, and it's a, an incredible piece of art um, at the, um, there's like a, a park there in Seattle, where he had taken the tree that had been cut down and he had put it into this beautiful vivarium where he lets it grow, and now all these different types of plants and things are growing out of this one stump of tree oh. that has turned into this exhibit where it's constantly maintained and, and they're always studying the environment and the natural things that are growing, the mosses and the different types of ferns and the different things that are growing off of it. And so Mark's piece was really inspirational to me. And then I also was working with another artist uh, that I had fallen in love with her work. Her name is Corey Stein out in Sunland, California. And she does these incredibly intricate beaded pieces that um, she did this piece called, uh, worked on this piece called The um, Accidental Arsonist. And it was about this um, this cricket who had, had befallen this terrible fate where he had ended up on an electric fence that caused a fire oh. that burned like this whole area of land and, and forest. And so she had done this whole work based on kind of more of an interpretation as if it was being read by an Indian uh, telling the story of the history of this cricket mm. and how he befalls this fate and how he, the forest and the trees are lost. And so it's really about, you know, working, uh, trying to avoid forest fires and, you know, uh, re- you know, kind of save our, our environment. And so um, it's this great piece and the and the, the beaded pieces are gorgeous for it. And then I was um, also inspired by the artist Mark Ryden, who had done recently, it was about two years ago, he did a show called The Tree Show, which was um, him his interpretation of the environment interacting with these human beings and these almost like spirits within these trees mm-hmm. and how they were kind of... Uh, uh, they were they were these spirits that were... Um, spirits that were you know, kind of, uh, I guess, uh, responding to humans and animals. And uh, he did these beautiful paintings. And so... Those tree pieces kind of inspired me, and then we ended up adding many artists. Um, Sam Maloof, we brought in a beautiful chair of his, which is a handmade um, chair by Sam, uh, a gorgeous wood piece. Um, and then we also brought in a lot of photography um, that were representative of, of really unique environments and trees and the way that nature responds to the trees and how the trees respond to the, the sky and the, you know, the, the, uh, the weather. Um, and so that was really interesting. And then I kind of expanded it into almost... Um, more about artists' materials and how they work with, you know, when they do work with wood, if they do work with wood, how precious that is and how, mm-hmm. how valuable that is to them and in, in, in the way that they're relaying their messages to the public, but also how artists won't use wood. Specifically, we use other types of materials, um, recycled materials or objects and things that are going to help relate to trees, but not necessarily using the actual wood from trees or the, the actual material from trees. So, mm-hmm. um it's an interesting show the way I did it because it kind of blends a lot of different medium. I mean, there's a piece in here for everyone. There's glass, there's video, there's, you know, installation, um, there's sculpture. It just goes on and on, printmaking. And so it really does touch on a lot of great, great artists, great works. I even have a really interesting piece from Stanford University. Their mascot for their band is the tree, and they did a compilation video of their band playing uh, for one of their one of their games. And then the mascot, the tree, is celebrating and dancing and and, uh, and uh, representing the college. And so there's just so many ways in which the tree is inspiring people and, and yes. is, uh, is, is, is out there in the world. It's a beautiful, beautiful exhibit. I was there just for a short time uh, last Tuesday, was mm-hmm. it, yeah, or Thursday, um, 
and because I quite by accident found out about this, I saw a little thing, a little just a little four little words that I saw upside down on a calendar section that said "Speak for the trees." I said, "What is that?" Mm-hmm. And uh, as the universe would have it, uh, called you, and you graciously were still there and stayed a little late so that I could come over and see some of the ex- exhibit and touch base with you about having the interview today. And I wanted to thank you because it it just was very enchanting, very absorbing, and. Um, just in case you are uh, just tuning in, my guest today is Andrea Harris, the uh, director and curator of the Frank M. Doyle Arts Pavilion at Orange Coast College. We are talking today about the current exhibit, Speak for the Trees, that will be going through August 12th. Is that correct? Actually, yes, we're going through August 12th. Um, we're here um, till, from one, excuse me, 11 to 4 that day. And um, it's a it's a short summer show, but very much worth uh, coming out for if you can. And what days of the week is it open? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday from 11 to 4. And um, I can be open by appointment. I've had people calling me last weekend I was opened. And so it just depends on the audience and what the schedule is. And so I'm very flexible. I try to work around people's schedule to make sure everyone can get a chance to come in and see the show. Oh, that's wonderful. And where are you located there at the Orange Coast uh, College campus, just in case someone wants to? Yeah, when they come down to the campus, they're going to be, the campus faces Fairview. Mm -hmm. And we actually are off of Fairview on uh, Merrimack, which is a side street to the college. Mm -hmm. And we're located near Lot D9. And uh, there's a Starbucks and a library for the college, and we're right in front of that. And so there's parking there. There's metered parking and, and other parking right there in the lot. Um, that they can go ahead and utilize. So for those of you listening from the Orange County area who maybe uh, still have not made your trip to check out the wonderful adventures to be had at the Orange County Fair, Mm -hmm. which is going on right now, you are just a couple blocks away from that. Yeah, the walking distance. Yes, so people could go to the fair, they could um, take the bus or drive or just walk right over Mm -hmm. and see this uh, amazing exhibit of Speak for the Trees. I wish I could have had an hour or two uh, the day that I was there just to spend time, you know, a few minutes with each of these pieces and the diversity of expression mm-hmm. of the artists and their love. Uh, you could see the, their love for the subject, you know, of trees and the many just different ways that that was expressed. I mean, from something, um, you know, this... Um, Kim Abel, Abelies, yeah. Abelies, uh, where a giant, giant, uh, like big, um, what is it, like a sofa thing, but it's all of these different, uh, all the pillows were the uh, leaves of trees of the world. And mm-hmm. there has to yeah, be, what, like 60 or lounge. 70? Yes. And um, just amazing, amazing things. Uh, poetry there, there were, um, as you mentioned, photography, and... Um, each each one I could have probably spent fifteen or twenty minutes there mm-hmm. multimedia, and um, again that's going on through August twelfth. I wanted to ask you also, Andrea, just for those who might be listening, because as an elf, I'm always hoping to encourage uh, listeners and people to consider the arts. Um, there are times often that I'll talk to someone that's going, especially being here at UC Irvine, um, who are students and they're 
I, I, I'll never forget one conversation I had with a lovely young woman who, and I asked her what she was studying, and she was, had a business major, and I said, oh, do you like that? She said, oh, no, I don't like it at all. And I said, oh, well, what would you like to do? Oh, I'd like to do the arts, but there's no money in that. Mm-hmm. And, and I really like nice things, and I want to have a home, and so I just can't really go into the arts. And I thought, how sad this person is going to spend, because our, our jobs very often take a, at least like a third of our time, you know, mm-hmm. if we work eight-hour days, so a third of our life, uh, to devote to something that we really don't want to be doing. And yet, I believe that if we have the desire, and as artists especially, we have creative minds, we can find a way to make that work for us so that we can um, live a lifestyle that we would like, uh, while at the same time doing in the world something that we feel is meaningful. Could you speak a little bit about that as being a, an art curator? Yes, well, um, actually, for a business person, I mean, the arts, we always need good business people, uh-huh. and uh, there's people in uh, fund development and uh, that direct institutions that are from business backgrounds, have MBAs, and they run arts museums and organizations. So uh, business is a major part of, you know, of what we're doing, but also uh, if you have a passion for art and you have a passion for any other discipline, it's really a melting pot of, of many things. Uh, most people I know that work in the arts have you know, five or six different types of skill sets that they're very good at, whether it be like, you know, PR, communications, art, installation, um, you know, facilities, maintenance, everything. I mean, it all blends together. But galleries and museums are a wonderful place to make a life. I've, you know, I've been in this business of working in art and curating for now going on about 24 years. And um, it's a it's an incredible place. It's a family. I mean, all the artists that I've known through my career are like family to me, and I adore them all. And I am inspired to meet new artists and to expand, you know, my life through them. Um, but I, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend discovering, um, you know, nonprofits and arts institutions, whether it be music or performing arts, uh, visual art, um, as 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 an avenue for career. And um, I've never looked back. I've always had my feet, you know, sunk in, deep in the sand of art, mm-hmm. and I've never moved, and I've never regretted it. And, you know, with any life, you're going to look at your checkbook, and you're going to think, oh, I could I could have done this and made more money, or I could have done that and made more money. And you could have, and no doubt you could have. But um, if you do what you love, I have to say, you're going to get up every morning excited, you know, and engaged and wanting to go out and make the most of who you are and, and make the most of your life. Um, you're never going to drag in to work thinking, I don't want to be here. And so uh, the quality of life is really important. And with artists, we get it. I mean, there's times when we struggle and there's times when we feel like we're thriving. But ultimately, we never make, uh, we never regret, you know, who we are and the choices we've made of being in an art world and being, you know, around artists and creative people and teaching and, and educating. I think that that's something we feel really blessed to be be able to be a part of. So I highly recommend it, and I highly recommend you know anybody that has a business head get involved in the arts because we would love to have you here. We'd love to have the help and and the strategy and all the things that go along with your experiences um, blended in with art, you know, and to make it even better. Yes. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for giving your life and time to being a curator. I have to say, um, just from my own perspective, I hadn't ever really thought about, you know, the life of an art curator. And yet, for myself, one of the things that I love about doing radio here at KCI, where, you know, we're all, we're all volunteers, but we're passionate about what we do and mm-hmm. we're all about bringing awareness to, uh, little known artists and musicians and, um, after talking to you, and you know, 
understanding a little bit about what you do as a curator, I thought, oh my gosh, how exciting would that be? Because one of the things I love is discovering new people and new mm-hmm. artists and musicians and then having them on the show so people can find out about them. And uh, I thought, you know, as a curator, our curators, that's very similar. You're you're bringing together, the, but on a larger scale, because you, in your exhibits, you're bringing together sometimes, you know, 30, 40, you know, 50 artists mm-hmm. um, into one venue for people to um, just experience. And how amazing that must be for you because you also have to interact with each one of these artists. Exactly. It's <laughs> wonderful. I mean, I do you know, group exhibition. You're having so many relationships that are built and, you know, a solo show. I'm working on one right now with this artist, Joe Forkin, who's a phenomenal painter. But being able to work with somebody like that at that caliber and then get very close with that person and what they're doing in their um, with their work and their career and supporting that and then going back to working with a group of, you know, 40. I've worked with up to, you know, 115 artists at a time wow. for an exhibition. And so it really is, uh, it's one of those things that's just exciting and challenging and and life fulfilling. I mean, it it enriches you Uh in a way that's beyond any money, anything that you could get paid. I mean, I I always joke with people, you know, it's just like you, you, you know, having that is more than any money I could ever be paid. Wow, that that's incredible. Well, again, the exhibit exhibition is Speak for the Trees at the uh, Frank M. Doyle Arts Pavilion at Orange Coast College. And Andrea, Andrea Harris, my guest today. Andrea, could you uh, just let our listeners know, because this will go up on podcast for those to listen to afterwards, hopefully, and maybe refer their friends to. Could you give us a little more information about um, if people want to get information about uh, upcoming exhibitions oh, at yeah. the Arts Pavilion and... And, or ways that they may be able to reach you or get more information? Definitely. Um, you can definitely reach us if you just type in OCC Arts Pavilion online. You'll hit everything that we have up, up which is our blog and our website, and be able to reach, uh, reach me through that. You can also come to the gallery or call through campus, um, and they can direct you to me. Um, we have our exhibition schedule posted on our website and on our blog, so you can get information there. Our, our fall semester is exciting. We've got Joe Forkin, the Lebowski cycle from the Big Lebowski. Mm. Um, we're going to be having a student exhibition with young student photographers, and, oh. and we're doing an exhibition that's going to be a um, curatorial invitational, which is called Things That Keep Me Up at Night, which oh. is going to be a really fun show for the end of the year. And so we're going to have a lot of people here, a lot of group exhibitions, and a lot of fun receptions and events to participate in. Um, but everything is really easy to find. And, um, you know, once you also call in, we can always put you on our mailing list, and we can go ahead and e-blast you out all the things that are going on as time progresses. So I, I really appreciate anybody getting in touch with me directly. The number you gave is the number for the gallery, my number, and I'll get back to you. And what was that number again? Uh, 714-432-5102. And uh, my email is alharris at occ.cccd.edu. Great. And um, just in case there's someone out there with this same question that I'm wondering, if someone is a young aspiring artist or maybe even an an established artist but not, you know, in a a large scope, um, could... Are, are these exhibitions often, are they by invitation only, or can people contact you and say, I do this, or somebody I know does this, you might mm-hmm. be interested in it? I get pitched exhibitions all the time from uh, aspiring and more you know, established artists, mm-hmm. and I'm considering shows, um, you know, we work about a year to two years out, so I'm working on exhibitions that are pretty far out as well. But anybody can submit things to me. I'd be happy to, to review any information. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to get things by email with, like, a link to websites or to have attached images and 
a little bit of an uh, overview on who the artists are. And, uh, you know, usually I'm getting back right away. There's certain shows that really suit the gallery. We, this, when people come to visit the Frank M. Doyle, the Frank M. Doyle, so then they get a sense for it's just a huge space. Yes. It's gorgeous, and it's very immense. So you can't put a teeny show in here. It's got to be something pretty ambitious. Uh-huh. And so if somebody's pitching something to me, it may end up in a group exhibition, or it may be something that we just have to make big. Uh-huh. Um, so it may take more time for that artist to make work, uh, such as Joe. I mean, he was working on paintings, and I saw them over a year ago, and he was like, you know, this is what I'm planning. I said, you'll have to finish this body of work if you want a solo show in this space. <laughs> and so he's got... He's had to work major amount of time to complete this body of work to make this happen. And so, uh, you know, you really have to think of the venue. And uh, also I can make recommendations to artists on other venues that might work for them or, you know, other types of ideas on, on uh, just having a conversation about their programming or their ideas about promotion. Mm-hmm. I'm very good with um, helping people. I'm kind of a bit of a matchmaker. And <laughs> if they have questions, they can always call me. And I'd love to discuss any concepts with them or anything. Um, Super. Yeah, I'm very accessible. Well, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we are out of time. I wish we could talk for another half hour about these things and uh, inspire the local artists uh, to uh, to greater things. Mm-hmm. But thank you again so much for um, putting together this exhibition. You know, you might want to think about doing something on Middle Earth, especially with the Hobbit <laughs> movies coming out oh, in, in December of 2010, Wouldn't, 2012. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a Middle Earth exhi- exhibition? There are so many wonderful artists out there doing things relating to Middle Earth. Yes, there definitely are. <laughs> there definitely are. I appreciate the uh, the curatorial insight. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Andrea, for coming on the show today and also for being in the world, doing what you're doing and inspiring others. And uh, best wishes to you, and I hope thank to see you. you again before too long. Yes, have a wonderful day, and thank you, everybody. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Andrea Harris, the curator and director of the Frank M. Doyle Arts Pavilion, um, talking to us today about Speak for the Trees exhibition. In just a couple of weeks, I will be having um, Jean- Jeannie uh, Denholm from Scape Gallery. We will be talking about the Speak for Tree- the Trees exhibition that is going on through September 5th at Scape, the exhibition at Orange Coast College going through August 12th. And that is, they are different exhibitions, different artists. So I hope you'll take some time and look into that. We are out of time, so uh, I'm going to play a little bit of outro music from The Hobbits because The Hobbits love nature and the trees. And um, we'll be back in just a few minutes with the Serena Sharp Show. I am Tani Tanuviel. Thank you. I'd love to hear from you. If you would like to send me an email um, asking me, you could ask a question. You could just let me know you're out there um, and listening. And I would love to hear from you. And the email is askanelf at yahoo.com ask an elf at yahoo.com next week my dear hobbit co-host will be back here in studio and we will have again uh, adventure reports and just wonderful things to talk about so until then i hope you'll get outside embrace this joyous time of the year especially we here in the northern hemisphere enjoying the the last bit of the summer months and um Yes, until then, Maria, and here's a little Hobbit music. I am Tani Tanuvio. This is What Would Arwen Do? Broadcasting from UC Irvine, 88.9 FM, KUCI in Irvine. Mm-hmm.